0: try that again.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we simplify the good life. My name is Brock Dennis.
2: And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia.
1: We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations based on things uh, that are both local and global and uh, taking into account all of the things happening around us
2: covering bicycling trains transit adventures and life hacks by the way that was really creative edit right there on the fly i'm not creative enough to do that and today (laughs) salem's bike reclamation
1: that's right the northwest hub and uh we've got both kirk and abdul uh, from Northwest Hub, uh, I learned about them just recently, and as a Salem resident, uh, I'm always interested in finding out what's happening around me. They happen to be doing uh, to borrow from another nonprofit, the most good of I think any bike shop in town. Right on. Yeah how how are you doing, Aaron?
2: Uh, not too bad. Uh, yeah, spent the last three days kind of locked inside my house. Yeah, herbs. for
1: anybody who uh hasn't been paying attention or is listening to this later uh it is september 2020 as green day said wake me up when september <sighs> ends
2: oh my gosh um, that's what that song's about
1: good god uh, <laughs> it's it's a crazy 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 month um, yeah. it just the, the wildfires started on uh, labor day weekend with uh they said like a once in 50 year uh event thing I was uh, my, my son and, and my wife and I were driving back home from the Idaho Panhandle where we figured we could be socially responsible and camp out and ride our bikes on this beautiful path uh, the trail of the Coeur to the, the path that uh, basically crosses the Panhandle there Oh, and um uh, it was lovely. It was an amazing ride. My son and I rode 20, or 72 miles together on the off-road pay paths. Lovely. We saw a moose uh, in, in person. We didn't stop. We kept on going.
2: That's a good idea. Because those
1: guys could be mean, I guess.
2: But sometimes, but, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. But then we uh, packed up the bikes and the trailer and everything, and we were in the car, and uh, there was first a dust storm. On I-90, uh, we were going to go to Thunder Island Brewing and see their new facility, but uh, the highway that we were going to take was closed because of a dust storm and a big car crash and everything, and so we kept on driving into another dust storm, and we got stuck behind a pileup. We were safe, but uh, we were there. It was uh, it was going to be a seven-hour trip, but it turned out into a 14-hour oh, trip gosh. back home. Yeah, and three of those hours were like changing my son's diapers in the front seat while you know, <laughs> waiting for the dust storm to clear.
2: While stuck in traffic, while uh,
1: while we, while we oh. were stopped, yeah, <laughs> just lo- looking at the back end of a semi and wondering if we'd uh, ever see anything ever again. These are these so. are
2: the the typical um, American vacation, like American family vacation stories, right? That's right. You know, stuck in the car waiting in traffic.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I was doing a survey of uh, local laws, and uh, apparently in Idaho. Um, if you're changing your kid's diaper, that's an excuse for them not to be in a seatbelt?
2: Oh, well.
1: So hypothetically, yeah. you could be going 70 miles an hour and just changing the diaper, you'd be fine. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I wouldn't do it. Well, but it's legal in Idaho.
2: It it yeah, it just goes to show that what is legal is not necessarily safe, <laughs> and sometimes maybe right. you have to you have to err on the side of safety versus what is legal.
1: Yeah, you're saying that maybe, well, law and order may not necessarily uh, be ethical or uh, moral.
2: Yes, I would say that they are neither, but that's uh-huh. that's yeah. maybe a uh, bigger discussion.
1: And Maybe we're getting way too political.
2: <laughs> Never. Uh, <laughs> well, I would, just, I would just say, like, even even outside of a political landscape, Law and Order is just Law and Order. It it's neither ethical nor moral. It's just a set of laws.
1: That show sucks.
2: Um. Yeah. It it really went downhill um, <laughs> after the first DA was whatever that actor is i can't remember he, he announced he announced like his candidacy for like a governor of some state i don't even remember the guy's name but anyway
1: yeah yeah
2: i was trying to make a joke there and it just
1: didn't <laughs> so anyways uh washington and oregon both lit on fire yeah. and oregon especially and you and i have both kind of been uh you've been stuck inside and i've been running from smoke uh yeah i'm you, in tacoma right now i was in my gonna dad's say truck. you
2: traveled north
1: yeah. It's not that much better up here now. So,
2: No. no yep. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's been hey. pretty crazy. Well, I don't want to say crazy. It's just, it's odd here. Um, yeah. We have, I can see like just to the end of my driveway as far as mm-hmm. smoke, and that's the way it's been for the past three days. Um, I go outside to water the plants, doubling up on my on my masks that are just sitting right here actually. So I got my like N95 um, respirator with the little valve and just to double up. And also for fashion, I've got my, you know, black mask with the, uh, with the red rose there. And um, Oh, that's, that's iconic. I love it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I go out and, and pretty much just, water the plants and then run right back inside because that's there you all the more I can stand being out there even doubled up yeah uh, and homemade
1: box fans for all I guess yes
2: box fans with your I don't I don't have mine I actually gave my box fan to my neighbor upstairs Larry who's been on the show do you have oh, guests yeah. outside <laughs> is, is something <laughs> happening out there hang on just a minute <laughs> yeah, no worries. hey
1: there you guys want to say hi to my friend Aaron oh, yeah. come on over Aaron, hi. Say hey. hi to my sister. How's it going? And my mom and my dad.
2: Hi, mom and dad. Hi. Hello. We're just, I can't, can't see me. how you doing?
1: He says hi. Oh, yes. Sorry, I got my earbuds in too. But yeah. yes, this is my family, and I've been helping them with my grandpa's house. Right on. <laughs> I love you guys. I'll see you tomorrow.
2: We'll down, so be careful. Okay,
1: will do. Thanks. I have a load in the truck, I guess.
2: I thought I saw someone back the trunk opening <laughs> or whatever. So I was like, surely that's not what I see.
1: Yep. <laughs> well we this is this is how much we care about the Sprocket Podcast and how much we care about our dear listeners is that we will do the show no matter even if even if there's uh, uh, someone loading the truck in which we said yes. we will do this show.
2: Yes. We will do this show in a in a truck <laughs> while while people are loading things in it, while yep. the air outside is considered hazardous to most people.
1: That's right, and also in a goddamn pandemic.
2: (laughs) And during a pandemic still,
1: yeah. So, yep, here we
2: are. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do this podcast till the whole thing (laughs) burns to the ground.
1: (laughs) I consider it a personal milestone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's just us and the cockroaches, man.
1: That's right. So, uh you've got one of those uh homemade uh filter fan things, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I yeah. gave it to my neighbor upstairs, Larry, who he's been on the show before. Yeah. It's um, a good idea. He well, being slightly higher in elevation than I am, he's collected a lot more smoke in his apartment and I've got other fans around. Uh one is a portable air conditioner which also has a uh filter sort of built into it or air purifier oh, sure. built into it. So that That actually has worked to our advantage. um, There you go.
1: Number of times, and it's just recirculating your indoor air.
2: Yeah. Well, why not? And it's got an exhaust, so it actually takes air out of the house. Perfect. Apartment. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect. That's been really great. Um, Hey, speaking of continuing to do this show or continuing to do our business while the world (laughs) seems to be falling apart, you know who else is still in business? Who's while that? the world seems to be falling apart. That would be the beer mongers on Southeast Oh Division yeah, 12. they've
1: been consecutively open for over 4,000 days. Over
2: 4,000 days now, um, and still open, even while the air is considered hazardous to most people. Uh, they've amended their hours slightly, so uh, be sure to check their uh, website and social media. Uh, but, but they are they, open. They are staying open, um, because if you're locked in your apartment and or house and you just need a little drink to help pass the time, they're there to help you out.
1: If I wasn't stuck in the cab of a truck in Tacoma, Washington, with nothing but two melted ice uh, Starbucks cups, (laughs) then (laughs) I don't know how old that water is. It was here (laughs) when I got the truck to help them with their dump run this morning.
2: It came with the truck?
1: It just, yeah, so I don't even know if I should be drinking it, but, you know, here goes nothing.
2: There you go, oh, man. Hang on. No, 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 no. Dude, I can hear ah. that. I can hear that on mic.
1: That's, that's good melted ice water right there.
2: Oh, man.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we had a great conversation with uh, – Abdul and Kirk, and uh, we should play that now.
2: We should do that.
1: Abdul, you want to introduce yourself first?
0: Sure, yeah. My name is Abdullah. I go by Abdul, Abdullah. I don't care. Uh, I'm the chairman of the Northwest Hub, it's a bike shop that we're going to talk about more in details in a little bit. And I just wanted to ring up how I ended up being in this podcast. I was hanging out in uh, Mentor Brown uh, in Salem. Uh, socially distancing with some friends, and we we're just hanging out and having some tea. And that's when uh, one of my friends, Sarah, Sarah Rice, she, I think she, she was like, "Oh, I think I see Barack there." And I was like, "Who is this Barack guy?" You came in and were like, "Hey," and you're gonna come in in our tandem. And that's when I think she she mentioned something about the Northwest Hub or something about me investing. And uh, Barack was like, "Yeah, oh, you want to be in the podcast?" I was like. I don't think it's me you want to talk to. I think it's Kirk you want to talk to. And that's when I was like, you know, like a lot of peer pressure happened there. A lot of friends were like, no, you should go. And my wife, you should go, you should go. <laughs> and Brock kind of like saved me. He was like, well, how about both of you? I was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> because I have nothing to say. <laughs> and that's how I ended up in here. Um, yeah, I live in Salem. i originally from Turkey, but I lived everywhere. And uh, I've been, you know, living the American dream. I love it. And uh, what I do for a living, I do basically government contracting. And it gives me the luxury from working from home. And, and this is prior to COVID. I've been always working from
1: home, which is great, really. And, you had to yeah, step that's, that's, up on us from the rest of us. Uh, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, yeah, I, I love, uh, I want to say, like, I, I don't think I'm a, in the level of a semi- competitive but maybe under that so I do I I do a little bit of competitive cycling but mostly I just I love cycling I do almost 100% of my commuting on my bike and uh, yeah I like to challenge I recently I started to take bikepacking seriously before that I did some bikepacking trips but it was like the heaviest you can go Uh, I remember one of the bikepacks trips that I did it was my first one in America was in a, in a, in a huge bike, you know, the, the Yoba brand, the one you see in yeah, Portland Yuba. everywhere. Yes. Yuba, yeah. Yeah. So I filled it up with like a tent that takes five people and, and the grill and, and charcoals and some woods and you name it. It was like the whole bike weighed at least, I don't know, I want to say 200
1: pounds. <laughs> It sounds like you filled it up with what people would usually put in a pickup truck for camping exactly
2: exactly <laughs> well, that's great and I like, the pickup truck of bicycles
0: yeah yeah <laughs> and I wrote for the i think I forgot the name of the campgrounds but it's the blaid thing it's between Salem and Portland uh, it's like forty five miles away from here and that was my first yes shampoo exactly. Yeah. That was my first experience in America. I've done some backpacking in in Eastern Europe a little bit. Again, it's uh, it's pretty much uh, strapping my bag my backpack on the bike, uh, and uh, really, like my backpack fell at least ten times on the highway where I had to pick it up and strap it again. <laughs> that was my backpacking experience. But but in the last year, I started to take it more seriously, and I started to buy the right equipment and. I've been enjoying the Northwest Hub and uh, I'm a little bit, you know, disappointed on me that I haven't done a lot of bikepacking. But I guess
1: uh, late is better than never or whatever that saying goes. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, it's a weird time to do any of that, I guess. Right now, uh, right. we're we're recording when the air quality is terrible, so all that's kind of been put on hold. But but yeah, sure. no, that that's uh, that sounds like you've had some some amazing experiences already. Uh, I do want to talk about the Everesting challenge in a minute. Oh, but yes. let's have Kirk introduce himself too. Well, I'm Kirk Seifert, uh,
3: director of the Northwest Hub here in Salem, as well. And uh, yeah, my my experience is biking. I mean originally i know it's not a racing podcast but i i started racing um when i was 12 which at least for a time uh i mean that was my foray into just being passionate about cycling but i have since moved on um to i guess more balanced uh balanced appreciation for the bicycle and um now i mostly ride with my kids Occasionally I try to keep up with Abdul, but that doesn't really work out very well. So um yeah, just <laughs> riding riding for fun, riding for pleasure. Um and yeah, I think instilling an appreciation for, for bicycling
1: with my with my two children. Fabulous. Well, uh even though you race, we'll let you stay on the show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um (laughs) we've gone downhill so much these (laughs) these past few days (laughs)
3: that that was a long that was a long time ago most (laughs) mostly as a mostly as a junior actually so i think i'm kind of the opposite um you know abdul was kind of a passionate commuter and then he just rode so much that he couldn't help but you know try tackling some competitive endeavors and uh just loves to push himself, so the Everest thing was
0: was quite monumental in his case. I mean, cycling opened a new door for me, and I, I think it's a great way to establish, you know, new relationships and find some new friends. And uh, I think in my area, in my experience, I think there are only two ways if you wanted to meet friends. I don't think there are a lot of bike commuters that you know that you can meet and okay, hey, let's commute on a bike together. I don't I don't think I don't think they exist a lot around here. But what you would see there's a lot of competitive riders especially here locally. Uh, I'm not sure if you know the the Scott bike shop, the Trick
1: Fox and that's Salem, one downtown. of the yeah, one of the shops in Salem Oregon. right. Yeah. Right.
0: It's it's they actually kind of the ones who gave me the idea of maybe you know what I think I'm light. I think I'm youngish. I'm I'm old actually. I'm 35. And I think you know maybe I can push a little bit harder than how I usually do it when I commute, and maybe I can get into competitive cycling a little bit. And uh, I saw some good momentum in there, and you know I was like, yeah, let me just enjoy it. And I started to meet a lot of cool people, learn a lot of new things, and it's just been it's been a great experience, you know. And but I don't I don't foresee that I'm gonna keep going into the you know the competitive route. I think I'm gonna just stick to what I've been doing which is bike commuting and bike back, basically.
1: And pushing yourself. And I was just going to ask, uh, right. before we start talking about Northwest Hop, you, you were doing this Everesting thing, which for people who don't know, Everesting is, is riding uphill until you've ridden uphill the amount of uh, elevation it would take to get to the top of Mount Everest. So uh, you recently did this. Can you tell us uh, what that was like and why you did it?
0: So, so the whole story started that one of uh, one of my friends mentioned this Everesting idea. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure if you folks know him. His, his name is Seth uh, Dubois. He's, oh, yes. He, uh, oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah we
2: had him on. Oh gosh, maybe two years ago now. Uh, <laughs> oh great, about I didn't know. His I... time doing the Steens Mazama uh, yeah, race. He yeah, a, he
0: just did a he just did a backpacking trip. It's it was a race actually, and I think he got second place. Uh, it's it's over eight hundred miles and i think the elevation is over seventy uh, seventy thousand or something it's something crazy yeah you know said said and i and another a third guy ben we all been doing a lot of like really nice kind of hard bike packing trips together and Really bonded, and uh, I, I these two folks actually I learned a lot from them because they're like they're into the competitive backpacking stuff. So I, I pick up a lot. I picked up a lot of things from them. So he mentions this Everesting idea, and everything ever since like maybe I can do this, you know. But I just this year, you know, with the whole the, the shenanigans that have been happening, I just didn't feel motivated to do it you know i i knew i could do it but i just like you know my my legs feel kind of heavy then i thought you know what i've never done any fundraising for you know the 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 nonprofit that i'm really passionate about i'm part of it the northwest hub and it's a bicycle shop so you know and i thought of this youth program that we have that needed some funding so I talked to Kirk, and he was like, "Yeah, let's let's we, we can you can fundraise for the for the for the program. It's called frame Up." And uh, I've been, you know, it took me like a, at least a month to search for a, a a hill. So let me explain a little bit. If for those who don't know what Everest thing is, basically you want to climb the same hill. You cannot do loops, but it has to be up and down the same hill until you uh, climb an elevation of. What is it? Gosh. 29,000. 29,000. Exactly. Um, And uh, I wanted to do it locally because it's going to be, you know, it's for the Northwest hub. There's some people that wanted to show up. And also I didn't want to just drive for an hour or two to another hell out of town and, you know, and then on the way back, I just want to, I just want to be home right after I'm done. So I had to, I had to pick a a local hell. My best bet was uh, this. Uh, West Salem. There was a hill. I forgot the uh, What's 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 the street called? Kirk. Aola, you know? Ayola Drive. Aola. Yeah, uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty good. The steep the, the the gradient was really perfect for my ability. The only the 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 one big downside that when when I descended, I had to take a sharp turn. So imagine uh, going really like thirty-five an hour, <laughs> and then you have to hit the brakes for seventy times. I was going to say so you did down. that
2: every time. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. That's that was more challenging than climbing actually. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and so also, you said seventy times up and down is is what got you to the number that you were shooting for? Exactly. But
0: I That's did a, a lot. little bit
1: more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did like twenty-nine thousand four hundred. I think. I think. Okay. I'm not mistake. Yeah. So I wanted to actually round it up to 30,000, but my wife was like, it's getting dark. (laughs) You you look terrible. (laughs) Let's go home. (laughs) You did what she came here to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I went up and down. Uh, It took me a total ride. took me like 15 hours and uh, it was better than expected. It was a really nice experience and a lot of people showed up. Like friends and family, and some folks from from like that they know of the Northwest Hub. They came for support and they cheered me up. It it, it was great. And unlike like other like competitions or, or or like even backpacking trips, I had everything I needed. I had you know all the electrolytes that I wanted. I had all the food I wanted. I had my lunch. I had my dinner. I had my breakfast. I had my friends. I had my wife was there most of the time. So it's like, it's, I couldn't complain, really. I couldn't complain. I had the right gear, no mechanical
1: problem. It was, it was, it was a great experience, really. Plenty of support. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yep. Aaron, you remember when we did the, uh, the West Hills ride of pain, uh, the 50 miler uh, day rond.
2: The day rond. Yes. And
1: that was only, I think, what, 5,500 feet of climbing? That's it? I think so. I could be wrong. I have to go back and look at it I could never
2: everest anything.
1: I was going to say, are, are you tempted?
2: As Abdullah is talking, I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. I would like to do this someday.
0: All the other yeah, parts that, sound it, great. Yeah, if, if you if you are, let me know. I know a couple of hills in Oregon. That would that would be like the perfect for thing. <laughs> straight up hill, straight down hill, you know? I was thinking and like, how the gradient is pretty pretty good. I was wondering too.
2: how many times I'd have to go up my driveway in order <laughs> to Everest. Like what's the elevator? It's like maybe 10 feet of elevation that's probably gonna take you over <laughs> a thousand time or something
0: i have to mention that kirk also showed up for support and he did how many laps did he do with me kirk he, 11 11 or 12 i think
3: nice. yes yeah. that's nice. which it was, which was, done, was right?
0: a lot which was which was plenty
3: i'll yeah. tell yeah, it you really yeah, it? it was really
0: great yeah that was <laughs> really
2: great um there is something to say about about having people there um not just doing that with you but they're on the sidelines supporting you like sometimes that makes all the difference i was as you're talking i was thinking about a time going through big Sur and one of our days of like one of the toughest climbs we had this total stranger like drove up next to me and was like you're gonna do it this is great and like then just drove off but like that was enough for that day for me i was like yeah i am awesome just yeah. a little
1: bit of moral support. A little pick me up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. A couple of
0: I was one of the clients I was climbing. There was like an hour at least of the ride where there was nobody. Everybody left. I think it was like a funny time. And I was just slipped by myself going up and down, you know, staying with my thoughts. I tried to listen to a podcast, but I wasn't enjoying it really. So I was like, you know what? Let me stay with my with my thoughts, which I like sometimes. But then next time the next thing I see is like these older couple that are actually beating me going up They're They're like at least 70 years old. And I was like, what is this? Like, am I in a like, Mr. Bean show or something? What is going <laughs> on?
1: <laughs> I think you get a little bit of, of an excuse because you've been doing it all day. And it's
0: also, it wasn't they had electrical bikes <laughs> actually. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. their advantage, yeah. And the guy, after he passes me, he goes like, I know we're cheating, you know, that's what he said to me. I was like, oh, okay, no problem, no problem.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. So how did you feel when it was all over? Uh, My tummy was feeling a little bit funny because I think
0: I had a lot of electrolytes and I didn't feel like I want to eat anything. Uh, I wasn't as tired as expected. Even like, I I still, I was really tired. Uh, but it, it, it was really fine. Then uh, The next day I woke up, I was, you know, thinking that I was going to be feeling really fatigue or, you know, a lot of muscle soreness. But I was actually almost like, almost like fine. I was ready to go for a short ride. I, you know, I hopped on my bike. I did a, a short recovery ride for like maybe 12 miles or something. And I, the, the, the day after that, I was completely, you know, perfect to go. I just rode for, I think, 60 miles or something. There we go. I mean,
1: you sound like the kind of guy who also does like a fair amount of riding ordinarily, but but it does sound as though like in some ways pushing yourself isn't all that bad as long as you know that your body can handle it.
0: Exactly. There is nothing secret. There's nothing magical about me or my physical abilities. It's it's a simple recipe, you know, like you train for it, you ride, you ride a lot and uh, anybody can do it regardless of, you know you you also wanna make sure that for for such an event especially if you're gonna do a lot of climbing you wanna make sure that you can lose a lot of weight because you know it's it's easier for somebody to climb a hell when you're when you when you know your your body is lighter than usual, but at the same time you really wanna make sure that you refuel the right way and you know do all that i'm not I'm not the most you know experienced guy to talk about it, but you know I get the basics.
1: Right <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you were in the shape to, to recover as well, and that uh, I mean it sounds like you've been training for years with with all the bike packing and the commuting and everything. so that I'm glad you made it through. Uh, so you said you were raising money and it was for a Northwest Hub program, so maybe you and Kirk can describe the program, and then we can talk a bit more about what Northwest Hub does in general. Kirk.
3: Yeah, the the program that Abdul was raising money for uh, is called Frame Up, as he said, and it's it's a job training kind of holistic support program for young adults who have some barriers in life, and and primarily we've recruited um, kids, I shouldn't say kids, young adults from. Um, which is the homeless outreach shelter transition program, just a few blocks from from the hub, and then also from Oregon Youth Authority. So, kids kids have um, some some challenges, some history, um, and then the program itself is, as the name would suggest, kind of reframing their perspective and, and helping them to to recognize um, that that they have immense potential, and we want to create kind of the environment for them to thrive. So uh, there's a lot of support. There's technical training, there's counseling, and then transitional employment. So all of all of the trainees that actually complete that internship initially um, then transition into, uh, yeah, a, a spot um, on the crew, um, yeah, through the season. And then we are introducing a new cohort um, every year. So, we're kind of wrapping things up in the near future and trying to transition um, these kids on to, to school and um, yeah, other jobs and so forth.
1: And this is a pretty important link in uh, someone's career path. It sounds like just to be able to offer that sort of experience. And uh, we're, we're talking about folks that uh, might have a harder time finding employment uh, without this experience in some cases
3: very much so. And, 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 instances, yeah, they just haven't been given the opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I've, I, I had, I had one young man who's, who's done exceptionally well. And, um, his, his support system was primarily his probation officer who was really behind him and brought, brought him in to interview. And she was just ecstatic a few months ago. So, and, um, I should mention we've, we've, done vocational training and rehabilitation we wanted to focus on on this demographic um just in recent in recent years and so we've we've had a lot of partners initially we worked with um the iQuest program to kind of help lay sort of a foundation for um yeah just getting these kids prepared um and then yeah developing the program kind of from the ground up
1: is this your first experience leading a program like this, or did you uh, did you come to Northwest Hub after doing similar work elsewhere?
0: Why didn't you explain the whole thing? How did you come up with the idea of the Northwest Hub, and what is the Northwest Hub exactly? Because we've been talking about the program, but you didn't mm-hmm. talk about the bigger umbrella of <laughs> the whole thing, you know?
3: Yeah, the the bigger umbrella. So initially, um, you asked if I'd done this type of work. I, I was in social work um, for a number of years, and working with adjudicated um, teens and young adults primarily. So, so that was a demographic that I had worked with and that I'm kind of passionate about supporting. Um, but initially I was actually working, um, I was actually working with some gentlemen at the union gospel mission who were kind of in transition working, you know, low wage jobs and uh, overcoming some barriers themselves. And they, um, had no way to get to work because there was absolutely no public transit in Oregon's capital nights or weekends. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's only, that's only improved marginally, um, in this last year when they introduced, um, some limited Saturday service. So I was not aware until uh, getting to know, um, these individuals, that uh, transportation was such an immense obstacle for anybody with, with employment barriers because they're going to get the less competitive shifts, night shifts, weekend shifts, swing shifts. Uh, and they're not going to have a way to get there other than, you know, on foot or by bicycle. And, and, and in this case, um, both of these individuals were walking a lot. Um, and one Sean, who's actually on our board now as well um, he he was kind of limping around, and and I'd been in the bike business industry, I guess, um, many years prior, and so I threw out the idea of, well, what if we got you a bike commuter package? And in that case, it was just a real game changer. So I had some conversations with the Muniz Resource Center, which is a parolee resource center, um, and their director, Craig, had told me he said that transportation was the biggest obstacle for a lot of his clients. Yeah. So that was actually our first partnership. I got referrals from them. I was actually working at a church, and I converted the uh, portion of the basement into a uh, kind
1: of full-service bicycle shop, basically. Yeah, There's, there's not enough overlap there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that could be happening in a lot of places and that's uh, it just be. uncommon, it, but, <laughs> but totally you were the guy at before.
3: the time to make it happen there. And so other people started to get involved. Um, it, was, it was a nice, tidy little program. Again, I got referrals. So every, you know, every week I, I knew that two or three people were coming down and I could pretty much help them out on my own. I got places and individuals for bike donations. Um, and then and this uh, was
0: this was in 2012, right? Uh, this was 2013. 13. Gotcha.
3: Long story short, one um, afternoon there was a uh, the Statesman Journal, the local paper, did an article about the hub and what we were doing, and the very next day I had a crowd of people. I actually counted them, and it was. 25 individuals standing outside seeking help. Either they needed a bicycle or they needed a bike repair. Um, And this was in the dead of winter. So in January, I had a crowd of people waiting for help with their bicycles because as soon as word got out, people just started showing up social service agencies were, you know, just referring people, you know, go down there, they'll give you a free bike, et cetera, et cetera. So at that moment, I kind of knew that we struck upon something that was really a pressing need in, in the community, and kind of developing it into something that was um, that was scalable, that was sustainable has been kind of kind of the ongoing challenge over the years.
0: I'm, I'm curious, by the way, even though like I'm the chairman, I know <laughs> some small pieces of the whole story of how Kirk, because what he did was really amazing. Honestly, like if you guys come and see the operation at the hub. It's it's a it's a big operation. It's like the number one bicycle shop that a lot of the low income families that relate to in, in the city. Honestly, like even like it extends all the way to Woodburn. We 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 actually started to have another satellite kind of like shop at Woodburn to you know serve the the community in there as well. We'll come to that later if, if there was time. But 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 I'm, I'm curious, Kirk, how how did it change from you know, the, the basement of the, of the church to opening a big, a big shop, basically. How, how what is the size of the shop? It's huge. It's the biggest. Well, it's, shop in yeah. Town.
3: Yeah. I guess, I guess we've grown a little, we went in 2015. So we went from about 350 square feet to 8,000, which was a pretty sizable jump. Um, and that was really an opportunity. I, I, I would say, um, at least in its initial incarnation, in a sense, I, I was the founder, but uh, it was definitely a collaborative effort. Um, that's when uh, that first year, Corey and a few other folks um, got involved. We had some funding from Salem Leadership Foundation and, and different organizations that helped, kind of, back and, and um, helped it grow a bit. But the crowds of people, uh, the referrals, kept coming in at a at a higher and higher rate, and so. We got to the point where it was pretty obvious this thing was just going to wither and die unless there was there were some resources that could that could um, make it grow.
1: So, and this is uh, this is starting as a nonprofit.
3: It was yeah the independent uh independently we became a non-profit
1: in 2014 okay cuz yeah. yeah resource for for anybody who's like if obviously you might be making a profit but yeah but it, it's it's not always guaranteed and a non-profit is usually supported by the people who who uh find some way that that this brings value to a community and it should exist whether it makes a profit or not and so Right. Finding that structure and those supporters, that, that can be a lot of work, uh, and, and that can be the make or break point, I would imagine. It's definitely, it's definitely
3: the make or break point, but um, I'll kind of touch on the reason that we do some vocational training <laughs> in a second. Um, one thing that was really critical to the hub as, as a program, as a bike kind of reclamation and distribution program initially was that we were working with people that were really living on the margins. Again, parolees and uh, folks that were in transition, oftentimes homeless or transitional living programs. So these people came to us, not only did they need transportation, but they needed to know that their time and their skills had value and so initially I threw out this number. I said, okay, we're going to credit you $20 an hour, non-monetary credit for your contribution. You know, you can help recycle, you can help, you know, here's, here's a number of tasks. Cause again, initially it was, it was myself and then it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a handful of volunteers that kind of continued to, that number continued to grow, um, soon after. But, uh, that was such a game changer in people's minds because, you know, here they're not working, they're they're not really exuding confidence. Um, and for them to be able to, to participate in actually refurbishing a bike in resolving their own transportation needs, but then also actually being able to then help you know, somebody next to them as 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 they also, you know, maybe were kind of learning the ropes and, and finding their way around the hub. Um that sense of self worth, that sense of of um potential to actually um do something, you know, meaningful and purposeful with their time really uh kept people involved, um, to a large degree. So a lot of folks just they came for a bike and then they came and they kept coming because they wanted to learn, you know, more about bike mechanics. And they just wanted to contribute and really participate in, in, in the hub's success and the hub's development. So the, the long story short, how did we get into vocational training? Well, some of these volunteers were putting in, you know, something on the order of 40 hours a week. Um, the first guy, RJ, like he was just there every single day. Full-time um, job. Yeah, it was like a full-time job. And, um, you know, a couple years into this, you start to say, well, <laughs> you know, that's great. RJ's found something meaningful to do and he's, you know, helped develop the hub. And yet, you know, he's still, you know, without a home and he still can't find work. <laughs> so it seems like we need to do something about that because, uh, you know, transportation is well and good, but w- what, what's the next step? How do you, you get people out of, out of, out of this cycle where they're just stuck and can't, uh, can't find an opportunity. So, um, you know, that's kind of where the business came in. We needed resources to be able to hire individuals and, and again, kind of scale and, and meet the demand. So, um, you know, people started to show up. Um, sometimes uh, actually, we have a good relationship with bike shops in town. Oftentimes they were sent from um, various bike shops in Salem because uh, I can remember one of the first conversations I had, an individual came in, he said, you know, it's going to be $200 and it's, it's a week before I can get my bike. I've got to get to work tomorrow. I've got $40. Can you guys help? (laughs) Well, I got, I got donated bikes. I got volunteer labor. Like, sure. This could be a win-win opportunity. So we started to do income-based sales like right out of the basement um, and, and when you say income base, it's kind of like like sliding scale or something along those lines. At that point, it was kind of you know pitch a couple dollars in in the can. <laughs> it was very. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't really. Um, you know, very well. It wasn't codified or in any way, shape, or form. It was just, um, yeah. If, like we'll if get there somehow and just offset, yeah, the expense. But then also, there was, uh, despite where we were located, again in a basement of a church, we still had people kind of coming and asking if we sold bikes, and um, there was actually a real market niche that you know became clearly available to us, um, and so refurbished bikes used bikes affordable repair these were things that it was evident to me salem actually needed um as as again kind of a niche market so as we were kind of you know joking about racing earlier you know the the elitism and and the and the barriers that sometimes the industry and and kind of that competitive culture can create we are actually kind of the opposite of that we're kind of the gateway We're kind of the gateway shop. So somebody that's not a bike enthusiast can come in and still get a quality bike. And that's whether they're they're no income, whether they're low income, or of course, you know, any income. um, Patrons that do have resources, um, that is our primary means of just continuing and growing over the years.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I was thinking just so many of the, these things about kind of how Northwest Hub operates reminds me a bit of Bike Farm in Portland. And, and Aaron, you've got some experience working with them. Oh, yeah. Great uh, Kirk, are you familiar? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. yeah I, I, obviously it's not the, the exact same thing, but but a space where people kind of bring what they have to the table and, uh, there's a share, there's a resource share, um, and, yeah, and money is there to help keep things going. But, uh, but yeah, it's there about more than just turning a profit. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: We've, and you know, each, each step of the way, it was just kind of in response to a community need. So the transportation barriers, um, huge again for Salem's capital to not have evening bus service (laughs) or weekend bus service was just kind of astounding to me. Um, I, I lived in other places with good public transit system. And, you know, until I came back, and saw, you know, um, how limited it really was, it was, it was kind of astounding, um, that, that we couldn't do better. So, um, you know, bikes are not, maybe always a perfect answer but they're they're truly the best one we've got <laughs> I think in, in in many cases and then on top of that of course yeah finding opportunities employment opportunity for the individuals that were really committed um, and had become an integral part of the program um, was kind of step two in kind of our growth and then um, on top of that, I got a message from, from the County about how many thousands of bicycles were going into the landfill. And so we wrote a grant um, through Marion County environmental services and um, we started doing reclamation and waste management as well. So um, yeah, there's a uh, receptacle kind of in the recycling area um, on route to the dump and um, we reclaim recycle kind of break down everything there um, salvage what we can and and kind of separate and recycle everything else so those are yeah those are kind of the steps so yeah it it just kind of kept growing and 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 kind of kind of layers of of, of programming and and trying to meet a presenting need in the community and in the people we were working with
2: it's interesting to me how uh, it started off with just sort of meeting one need and then finding all these other needs associated with that. Right. Um, and I really want to point out how your organization went from just solving one need mm-hmm. to, you know, where a lot of people can just easily go like, well, we're just a bike shop. This is, this is just what we do. You're on your own for these other things. You really saw it, it through and said, well, I can't just give you a bike and then go like, "Okay, you're on your own like that's not going to help you at yeah. <laughs> all um uh, yeah, I just want to like point that out and really appreciate how it became a more holistic thing
3: that's that's been the goal and and it's certainly still still developing um all the time um but I think yeah it, it as we, as we continued to grow in the demographics that we work with, when we moved our location, again, we were just a few blocks from this youth shelter, the only, um, the only shelter for young adults in Salem. And we've, we built a couple of, uh, bicycle fleets for them, um, over the years, but you know, these kids were coming in and out all the time. And again, it, I think was just kind of gnawing on me that we weren't able to provide you know something more substantial long-term besides you know maybe just mobilizing them for the moment and then kind of wishing them luck you know (laughs) because you you see them over the course of months or even years sometimes and they're not thriving um and you know you want to create that space where they could you know have a real turnaround so that's where the frame up program um kind of began um, and, you know, over the years, I mean, people, the volunteers, people have been incredibly generous. Um, I mean, we had a local couple, the Ports, you know, just write a check to get this program kind of off the ground. I mean, we've had like incredible support over the years of people that just kind of catch a glimpse um, of what could be if, you know, we just have the resources. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, been a
1: pretty exciting journey um, all along, continues to be. I'm really glad you guys are there doing what you do. I'm curious, uh, how, how do you create an inclusive environment where you are? Cause you, you hinted briefly at the idea that some shops are only there for the people who really want to perform and go fast and, and look cool and, and fit a certain demographic. But, uh, just in, in creating a space, what, what kind of a space have you created uh, that takes into account what people need to feel comfortable there?
3: hmm. Um, yeah, I don't want to suggest in any way you know, that our relationship, again, with, with other shops is quite good. I think um, part of that, though, is our role as, as this kind of niche marketplace is, again, as a gateway. So somebody that's not initiated, um, not necessarily into cycling, um, once they get to that level where they need you know, the cutting edge technology, um, then we're going to send them down to the other shop and vice versa. When someone comes in, um, to a bike shop that sells, you know, new bikes, um, and they want to spend $200, they're not going to get a new bike. So, um, (laughs) vice versa, um, they come to us and so, and get something that's of sufficient quality that they might actually enjoy riding it and it might actually hold up. And then, Sooner than later, they become kind of initiated into kind of into the family. So um, the the inclusive environment. Um, I would say originally we've created kind of um, community workstations. Um, sadly, some of that has kind of kind of been suspended in part um, with with the COVID crisis. So we can't have um, the number of people just kind of coming in and working at stations and volunteering that we typically do. Um, but, um, I think the diversity of both our patrons and our program participants is actually, it's an eclectic group, but somehow it generally works really, really well. Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of, yeah, inclusivity, I I mean, hopefully I think everybody, both in terms of who we employ and who volunteers, it's diverse enough that. Um, you're probably gonna see people that you relate to on some level um, in the shop at most most any time you're there. that's great. I'm pretty excited about kind of where things are going um, with with frame up. I think now it's not necessarily that um, we're introducing something entirely new uh, in the sense that we've done some vocational um, rehabilitation and training to, to adults and, and actually older adults through Easter seals over the years. Um, but we're kind of bringing it to, I think another level of, of, um, kind of holistic support. Um, and we're really, I think we're the quality of, of the training that we can provide. So, um, that, that's, that's really a step which doesn't just help the, the young adult trainees, um, cause they're going to be more equipped to, um, I think succeed and thrive in their own mindset and in the workplace in the future. But, but with everybody that comes to, to learn bicycle repair and, and any other facet of the business.
1: Excellent. Uh, well, what is coming up in the future? Obviously we, uh, I hate the term, but we're in unprecedented times, there's a lot of challenges to the way things have been done uh, over over the years that have presented themselves and everything has had to change from health concerns to the, the smoke that's outside now to uh, concerns about uh, wildfires and whatnot. And uh, there's, uh, I mean, I, I think uh, the crisis of houselessness is pretty stark in a lot of American cities. Uh, Salem's no exception. There's a lot of folks living outside. And a lot of folks living outside depend on bicycles. Uh, what are some of the challenges that Northwest Hub sees? And how can people come alongside and support?
3: The good news, I guess, uh, for us currently is that the bicycle industry actually can thrive in, in a lot of apocalyptic scenarios. (laughs) It tends to not necessarily, um, struggle when the economy is, is, is bad. Um, and certainly not, uh, not in our case when, when we're actually, um, you know, providing transportation that is the most efficient and, and, the least expensive, uh, transportation available. So i certainly as a, you know, as a student or in, in lean times, um, relied on my bicycle because yeah, driving a car is just too cost prohibitive to, to <laughs> um, for a lot of people, um, at, at times. So, um, I would say currently, you know, it's, it's, again, in kind of our, I think, dedication to respond to a presenting need, uh, in our community, I always kind of felt that the hub, um, as I think it showed some success in its impact in the lives of the people we were serving. Um, I always determined that it ought to be replicable. And so we, we have, um, and again, this has been kind of limited um, due to COVID, but we have been doing more outreach and um, been kind of extending services into the Woodburn area, um, as well as uh, just more outreach uh, programs working with organizations like Safe Routes to Schools um, um, in kind of the greater, the greater Salem area as well. So some level of kind of advocacy um, as well as just kind of expanded bicycle, uh, reclamation, distribution, and, and repair, um, to folks that might not otherwise, um, have, have any access to those things at all or be able to afford it.
1: Yeah, uh, and I'll I'll just share that I uh became a donor when Abdul started doing the uh, Everything challenge at the fundraiser so I'm yeah, I really appreciate what that. Not- there. It's one that I want to make a recurring donation. I'm I'm going to keep on, you know, doing a monthly thing because I I really like what I know about you folks and I look forward to getting to know you better. Um but uh but yeah, I think that's that's definitely a thing that that is uh, worth supporting. So people can find a donation like at the website, I believe. Yeah, they can
3: and um and, and again, actually, you know, patronage is, is, is huge. That comment that I made earlier in, ded- in dedication to convincing the people that we work with that their time and their skills have value. I think it was important to actually prove that in the marketplace. Um so when we had people coming doing vocational rehabilitation, it's like, okay, well, you know, here's a world, real world business. Here's a storefront, and you know, we're going to have to perform at a level that we're going to be viable. We're not. This isn't just kind of, um, you know, a, a space where we're going to kind of dumb it down and expect less of people than what they're really truly capable of. And I think that's been um, uh, that's that's been one of our commitments, and also, I think, I think. Uh, Contributed to our success, um, at least in
1: um, the growth that we have seen over the last several years. Great. And Abdul, you were going to say something too.
0: I was going to say f- thank you for your donation. And I have to also mention and acknowledge that thanks for the, what is it? Thanks for fe- featuring uh, my voice <laughs> yeah. when I wanted, yeah, <laughs> in one of your podcasts. And I was like, you know, yeah, I'm doing this interesting thing. And please, when I listen to myself, I kind of like laugh, you know. What am I? What? <laughs> but seriously, thank you so much for giving me the chance to, you know, advertise and you know, grab some momentum and drag some people to donate and whatnot. I really appreciate that. The hub appreciates that too. We do. Uh, we do. I'm glad you. we're
1: yeah, glad we're able to have your voice on. Glad you're here now. Uh, and I'm I'm curious. Maybe just in a way of closing, uh, maybe Abdul, you could share some of the things that you love about Hub that we maybe haven't touched on yet
0: uh if if i want to go really quick over this the way i ended up at the hub how i ended up there long story short after my graduate school here in salem uh i was you know i had about five months period where i couldn't work legally because i was changing my residential status and whatnot so legally i couldn't get a job and you know Coming fresh out of MBA school, I thought I can build another Amazon, which I was very delusional, you know, that that's <laughs> if an MBA guy would relate to that. It's all things that you can find in Google, and I learned about it, basically. Um, and, yeah, my wife mentioned this. The You know, you like biking. You want to just go find out if you can do something. I showed up there, and I talked to RJ, I told him, "Hey, is there anything, you know, management, business strategy, anything I can help with?" And I'm gonna be a guy, yada yada. He was like, he directed me to go to the food bank, and that's when Kirk kind of like caught me. He was like, "Hey, no, no, come here, we need you, come here." Actually, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when uh, Kirk, uh, I remember, like my first impression of him. This was in 2016. My first impression was like, "Wow, this guy can really." Is pretty good at multitasking, you know. He's fixing a bike and selling a bike and talking to me and the, sweeping the floors. And I wow, this guy can do a lot. And uh, he told me for, you know, he, he, he kind of like asked for my help for, with a, lot, a couple of things. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made in the beginning is that I was treating this place as a for-profit. Pref- for uh, it's a non-profit and it's, a, it's a quite a different animal and uh one of the biggest things that i you know like i kind of like try to convince Kirk to change is the slogan for example which is bicycles for all and i was like as a business guy no that's like that's the opposite of like you really need to have a niche you know you need you need to ah. identify your clientele and say like it's, it's like tribalism you want to just mention oh we yeah. sell bicycles with this kind of people, you know, <laughs> we tried to brainstorm, we we did a lot of staff meeting, we got everybody together, uh, we talked about it, along with other things also we talked about, we tried to improve operationally. In the beginning, you know, like, people were like, who is this guy trying to change everything about us? <laughs> and I started to realize, you know what, I think there are some little things obviously needs to be changed, but... The bicycle shop, the operation in general, is actually not broken. Why fix it? So it took me a couple of months to realize that, and we started to, you know what, let's just work with things that are obvious and then we need to change. And we got some good momentum in that it's been, you know, helping. And, and And we refused to change the tagline. So exactly. to <laughs> to the we,
3: we didn't succumb to the tribalism and marketing uh, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> strategy he, he suggested.
0: That's when the, the former uh, the former chair offered me uh, to be a board member. and I was like, oh, what well, would love to. And I joined in 2017, I think after I did like a couple of months of consulting for them. Up, up, and then you know, time goes by. I was pretty much involved. I did some occasional volunteering, not, not a lot, not as, as much I wanted to. Uh, but then in last year, literally, the rest of the board members, after you know the former uh, chair has resigned for family issues, they everybody threw me under the bus. So like you should be the new chairman. And, <laughs> and I came That's up with that. to show up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so.
2: They didn't throw you under the bus. They just made you the driver <laughs> of the bus.
0: That's when I was like, guys, I don't think you really want me because I'm, I'm, uh, we had a plan, my wife and I, we were going to relocate to Bend, Oregon. And I was like, I, I, I can't do it temporarily, but just so you know, next year, like mid-summer, we are moving to Bend and we were going to open a new mental health clinic in there. Uh, but, you know, like, uh, as you know, 2020 came and... Uh, Things some change. Monkey, some monkey through a big ranch to the big machine, you know, and <laughs> ruined all the plants we had. And I'm still stuck here with uh, you know being the the, the chair and being in Salem, <laughs> which I love. Well, don't get me wrong. I like Salem. I like Salem.
1: Like yeah. I was gonna say, I'm sorry, you're in charge, but so it goes. It's, so it goes.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. It's it's it's
1: been really joyful, and it's been pretty much it's it's been
0: a. A pleasure being part of the hub, honestly speaking.
1: Glad to hear that. Well, thank you both so much for taking some time to talk it over. Uh, I was thinking maybe we could end with like a lightning round of just a couple of questions. Uh, I'll load one up and then Aaron, you think of yours, all right?
2: Oh, okay. So, for
1: each of you, uh, what's your favorite bicycle accessory?
2: Ooh.
1: Abdul, go for it.
0: <laughs> oh actually the favorite by I, I what do you mean by that like can i can i can can i say the wheels the kind of wheels sure
2: <laughs> that's a component it's, uh, okay,
0: so i need to get look for an accessory well i would say i don't know what they call it but you know that that little bag that you strap to the handle bag and you can you know like I don't know what they call it. I forgot even the companies that make it, but you can basically, it's its like a bag and you basically can fit your, uh, water bottle inside, but I don't do it for that. I actually put my toothbrush and some other shenanigans in there when I'm, I do my backpack and
1: <laughs> for bike pack, Perfect.
0: Yeah. That's my favorite accessory. Actually. Nice. All right, Kirk.
3: Yeah, I would say, um, not that I use them that often anymore, but yeah. Um, Portly panniers, um, are pretty fantastic. And, uh, yeah, otherwise I don't, uh, gosh, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty minimally accessorized. I think when <laughs> I go, when I go right. Although, although my, my 10 year old daughter, um, just, uh, talked me into doing some, um, backpacking and now we're talking about bike packing. So, um, hopefully, hopefully next summer I will break those out and probably, um, kind of expand my, uh, carrying
1: capabilities. There
3: we go. Yeah.
2: All right. So in the realm of bike packing or backpacking, uh, minimal or or maximal, <laughs> um, what is the one item that um, maybe isn't necessarily related to camping, but you take with you every time, no matter like how weighed down your bike is, you're still not going to like sacrifice this one item.
0: Oh, uh. What is that item? Hmm. You know, this is something like it's even like surprising for some riders that I told them this once for, and they know how much I ride. I actually literally started using my what do you call it? Uh, what do you call the, the the cream that you use for you know for the butter? The <laughs> chamois butter. Ah. Uh. I have never used it. And, you know, I've been told that I have an alligator skin or something down there. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally, I was like, let me use this thing, you know. like Let me let me give it a try. And I used it for, thankfully, I used it for that time. I used it when I did the Oregon Stampede. I, I did it solo for the most part. I had a couple of friends that joined me for the first 20 miles or so, but they wanted to do it over two days, but I wanted just to finish it up. And, you know, I, I packed everything and I just wanted do it over one day, and I realized that if I didn't really use it, it was so hot. The temperature was like like 108 degrees. This was like a couple of months ago, and I I really struggled down there. You know, I stopped and I I was like, you know what? Maybe this is the time. I brought it with me and I used it, <laughs> and it was like a game changer.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Really? So I would like next time I'm, I'll make sure I always have that item with me. I was like being and I was like that cool old school guy that doesn't want to use anything down there, you know, <laughs> not a good, not a good idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
3: You know, who's yeah. Trevor Lee Spangle, big, big shammy butter fan. I know. Yeah. I've never uh, yeah. seen yeah. such an enthusiastic. <laughs> user <of Sammy> butter. <laughs> You have it at all the events, big tubs of it, if you witness this <laughs> um yeah, not a lot of chamois butter i don't I don't really use this stuff, but I don't ride as much as a so that's uh that's how I get away with that um you know sometimes I do pack pretty light, so uh, I've still got probably a twenty year old uh, crank brothers multi tool um it saved me quite a number of times and as long as I have that and uh <laughs> <laughs> Something to inflate my my tires. I'm usually pretty good, so sweet.
1: Uh, right flat on. pedals or clip in?
3: Uh, Mine is clip, I, clip most, in actually.
1: Most most
3: most of my bikes actually flat, but um, yeah, I do like an enduro. Duro pedals, so I don't have to put on shoes um, if I'm doing, you know, a little ride. But I can clip in um, on a best of both of, worlds. Okay, yeah. yeah, best of both worlds. I've given up on um, road-specific pedals um, years ago, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of over that for sure.
0: The one time that I went uh, flat pedals was uh, when I did bikepacking with my wife and some other friends. In Central Oregon, and we did it on a tandem, in an old school steel tandem. It was, it was. The mileage was really short; was like only thirty five miles, but it was the hardest ride I've ever done. Um, my my wife is is like a commuter, so and we are riding a fully loaded with everything you can imagine tandem. It's old steel, so I was she was really working hard. I know, but I was you know most of the paddling was coming from my legs and I had some (laughs) some some, like good good running shoes on me too I I imagine that there's some parts that that the climb was really brutal and sandy it was like it was like you're climbing up a a dry waterfall literally Mm. and it was like stony on a tandem stony and rocky there's no way you can pedal like there's not even with your single bike unloaded you cannot <laughs> you cannot climb that you have to you have to hike a bike you know and uh, i remember like i when when i was pushing the tandem which was a, another challenge we <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> were yeah. pushing it together uh if i had my clip in shoes that would be a really like big struggle for me because you <laughs> you're like digging in deep like your your foot is going deep inside into the sand oh yeah and you know the i, th- I think having a good kind of like running shoes that helped me a lot just like not to, you know, just like to walk the bike uphill. So maybe, yep, yep, maybe, maybe you know, if, if, if somebody wants to do really heavy, sandy climbs, I think that these club in shoes are not the best to help you hike a bike, <laughs> in my opinion. <Okay>.
2: <laughs> right on. There <laughs> we go. All right,
1: Aaron, last uh, one.
2: Somewhat related. Um, tires. Specific to terrain or just one tire for everything? Hmm.
0: So you're torturing me by the way.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I ride like Abdul used to make fun of me because most, most of my bikes with the exception of a bike, I just, just acquired this past year um, are all at least, um, about eighteen to twenty years old. Um uh, my workhorse uh commuter bike is actually a nineteen eighty nine rock hopper. So um I'm really not nice. like um I'm really not um kind of cutting edge as far as having to have the latest technology, but I'm kind of a snob with tires, so I would say definitely specific. So even my even my eighty nine rockhopper has decent tires on it. Um and
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> So for me, I, I should mention, I have five different bicycles and, uh, the, the, the main bike that I've been riding a lot recently is, is a gravel bike. It's a, it's called Grid 400. I don't think it's famous. It's a KHS. Uh, it's been really, it's, it's, a, it's surprisingly pretty good. Uh, it comes with a 650B, uh-huh. but it's compatible with 700 still. Uh, so I, I put the 700 in there and I got a really nice DD Swiss and, uh, it took me a while till I found a good tire size because I thought I could put 29s in there and which I did, there's like really good clearance. I think I got, what is it? I got uh seven, I got 29 by 2.1, I think. Oh, and uh, I realized there was a small problem that started to rub on yeah. the fork, and the fork is carbon. And one of the things I learned from from Kirk is that you really don't want to have anything touches the carbon frame. <laughs> 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 so I took it on one ride. It was it was really nice, but you know, every time you go through a bumpy section, you could feel you know the you could feel that the, the tire is rubbing against the fork from inside. So I, I went and I got a, another tire. I got a, like a 700 by 45. And this tire has actually been pretty good. I just recently, like last week, I took it into like a really long backpacking trip all the way to Port Townsend, Washington. And I went through the Mount Rainier National Park and there are like a really, a couple of rough, little, like rough, big, rocky descents. Uh, and my bike is fully loaded with my camping gear and uh, the tires did really good and uh, the handling was you know, was, was decent and I guess, you know, I'm just gonna always stick to the same size, always like yeah. I'll, I'll never ch- change it on that bike, because even in the road it was doing pretty good as yeah. well
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I've got 44 but they're 26 inch so it's a, it's a whole different game mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah Yeah, I found that that was a really good width um, for city, for mud, for yeah, I think that's the same yeah. size I have on my on the, on the tandem. I those, actually, those are forty six. I'm sorry, yeah, but close enough.
1: I like that you have your bikes right there to look at in <laughs> reference. That's good. Just me. <laughs> what are you in the garage or something?
2: <laughs> no, this is this is my dining room actually.
1: <laughs> you 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 don't keep your bikes in your house right next to you? <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, doesn't everybody eat with their bikes? <laughs>
3: as a road biker in the, in the eighties, um, you know, there was a, there was a period as a, as a kid that I would not ride anything but 20 C tires. Ooh if mm. you can imagine that it's, it's, uh, <laughs> the wide tire evolution was, was, was really a great, <laughs> um, a big change, a great development. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine that I actually rode those things anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Surprising my teeth are not completely like just chipped away from <laughs> from the from the vibrations and chatter of those. Yeah, yeah. So glad those days are over. Yeah. Although all the bikes were, you know, lugged steel, so that was a little more forgiving too. But <laughs>
1: Well, gentlemen, thank you so much again for joining us and I really appreciate it. Uh thank you guys. I, I'm looking at the screen i realized that I'm I'm completely in the dark now. You guys yeah. are all inside. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in the cab of this truck. So, uh, but yeah, how can uh, people find Northwest Hub? Well, uh, you know, I'd say most
3: people interact with us at our at our storefront. Um, so 1230 Broadway Street um, in Northeast Salem and then our website which is just uh, the northwesthub.org and we're on Facebook, and uh, yeah, as long as I update our Facebook posts, because I've been a little bit, uh, yeah, slacking on that lately, so my apologies, but um, yeah, when things kind of kind of get back a little more um, to normal, we'll try to update people on events, and things that you can participate in, we typically do have um, just community repair education classes happening every week, and so we're, we're hoping to reinstate those pretty soon um, when it's when it's safe um to do so so yeah so stay
0: tuned and yeah. I, I, w- I would like to also to end with uh, i don't want to take any any credits or lights away from kirk and actually the staff the boots on the ground it's true yeah i am the chair but honestly we we the board members we we don't really get involved a lot especially this is one of the things we changed about the hub in the past the board members used to you know interfere in the day-to-day operations but this caused a lot of, caused a lot of problems as you would you know imagine and we decided to you know what actually it's, it doesn't make sense for the board members to get involved in the day-to-day operations when we're not there most of the time so it's it's better we leave to Kirk and the staff to figure that out and we as board members we just oversee the you know the financial issues the you know the big topics that we need to talk about the hr structure you know the the, the bigger things just we we can have you know a bit of discussion about we don't, we didn't want to get involved in the small things so the bike shop really exists because of kirk and these folks that you know the full time people even the volunteers that actually, you know, go there and show up
1: every day and do, you know, the heavy lifting. Yep, I just wanted to end up. Well noted. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation, really. Well, once the air clears, we can do some
2: everything.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, of course.
3: Hold yeah. To <laughs> of course. He'll do it. He'll do it. It's, it's, total, it's totally fun. Everybody should do it.
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> did you see this guy who did four things in a raw? No, uh, I don't even. Uh,
1: oh yeah, that's, that's crazy. I, four I'm happy four for
2: times. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. That's intense. That's it's ridiculous. Enough. That's ridiculous. Yeah.
2: So Abdul hey. and Kirk, that was that's a great conversation. That was a uh, fun chat. It's great to hear about all about what they're doing,
1: and they're w- well worth supporting. Uh, again, donate your money if you can.
2: Yeah. Oh, hey. Speaking of donations, um, yeah. I'm I'm going to put out this little piece of news uh, from the Portland Mercury. Um, just because one, they're my favorite local news source, and and I trust them. Yeah, everyone
1: and, can uh, can go take a hike. Yeah. <laughs>
2: All the rest of them. Yeah. No, no they they're just my favorite. The all the other yeah. ones have have things that they they are good at, but the Portland Mercury um I would say they've been working the hardest um throughout all of this and uh I will go to the wall with that one. <clears throat> Anyways, they have an article here, how to help Oregonians affected by the wildfires because I'm sure you listening probably are thinking like how can I help? Well, here are some places uh, that they've vetted. Um, and again, I trust them. So whoever they trust, I would also trust. Uh, for those lucky enough to be protected indoors, the overwhelming need for shelter, supplies, food, medical care, and other support in these impacted communities is hard to navigate. Here's a list of vetted organizations and fundraisers that will send your resources straight to folks who need them the most. And... um in this, I will point out um, one group called the PDX Ewoks. And yes, <laughs> you, I've heard of them. You've heard of them, so yes, Ewoks stands for Equitable Workers Offering Community Support, and they spelled the community with the K in order to make with it a K. make sense. Why not? Yeah, well, you know, otherwise the the acronym wouldn't work, right?
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they set up.
2: They set up a mutual aid station right down the street from us, uh, down in Lloyd Center, um, and it was really great. I didn't go oh, that's there. Them, yeah, yeah. Well, I, amongst other people, there was a bunch of people. I shouldn't just credit only them, but they were really key in that. Um, their their links for donations are, are up there. Street Roots is up there. Um, Those are just Portland-centric, and there's a whole bunch of Portland-centric ones. But uh, this article also goes so far as, like, the South Central Willamette Valley. There's a group of organizations that they've listed. Um, Southern Oregon, um, a group of organizations that they've listed. So anybody who's listening to us and is just like, hey, where do I send my energy from afar, um, here's some great organizations that, again, the Mercury has vetted, and I trust the Mercury, so I would trust whoever they list on here.
1: Yeah, it's a good time to reach out because there's a lot of people that uh, that are going to be in need in yeah. the next several months.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> well, and so, with no further ado, shall we end the show? Let's do this. All right.
1: The Sprocket Podcast was formerly produced at X-Ray FM Studios. Thank you, X-Ray.
2: Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email
1: to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com.
2: Call or text to 5038479774. Twitter
1: and the Instagrams at Podcast. Thanks
2: to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And
1: thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners.
2: Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lane, Richard Bosenski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Wise.
1: Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, a time, time traveler?
2: traveler. Chris Smith. Chris Smith. Caleb Jenkinson, oh, JP Keeley. That's all right. Peter <laughs> Butter Matt, Margot Lowe, Rich Otterstrom. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder. Anna, thank you so much for being quiet while we're recording. <laughs>
1: Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G.
2: Guthrie Straw, who is out in the woods, Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Re-Granery.
1: Campsite, Max Nurse, David, Nathan Poulton.
2: Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay.
1: Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran.
2: Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson.
1: Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam.
2: Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore.
1: Todd Grossbeck, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron, Barron, and Chris, Chris Barron. Barron.
2: Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite, Safety, Ryan first?
1: Mor- uh, Yeah, of course. <laughs> Bike Vids. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks.
2: Kaka! Ka-ka! Marshall, Paula Funatake Cyclecraft. Sorry about that, Paula.
1: Philip M. Spartan Dale, no, no relation.
2: relation. Mr. T. Who never really left. Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G.
1: Adam D. Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond.
2: Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M. David Christensen, 503. Byron Peters- Patterson. Oh man, I'm doing terrible tonight. Kristen Gra- <laughs> Kirsten Graham. <laughs> and our newest donor, Aaron G.
1: And all of our former donors who helped us get this far into a pandemic (laughs) and into wildfire season.
2: Now, Now, wash your hands.
1: And wear your mask and make your own air filtration system.
2: Double up if you need to.